we really are committed to doing the absolute best we can for these families. Delivering the very best for your clients means knowing what you want and executing your vision to the highest standards. And I think the thing that I've learned the most from doing this type of work is that there's so much unconditional love out there. According to a recent survey, only 19% of managing partners in U.S. law firms are female. We would like to see that change. Hello, and welcome to LawHer, the show where we celebrate the trailblazing attorneys and entrepreneurs who are changing the game for women in the legal field. Be inspired by their stories, learn from their mistakes, and look forward to the future they're helping build for the next generation of women in law. I am Sonia Palmer, your host and VP of Operations at Rankings, the SEO agency of choice for elite law firms. This is Laher. When you run a business, the weight of the decision falls to you, for better or for worse. But you also have the ability to pivot quickly and adapt to the unexpected and create something you are truly proud of. Executive producer and CEO of Verdict Videos, Kelly Dutch, is an unparalleled expert in pulling out the raw truth of every client's story and delivering a compassionate tale to the jury. The documentary-style videos she and her team create allow juries and judges to connect with the plaintiff in a very human way. Today, we discuss stepping into the role of CEO and the challenges that can come with it. We also discuss finding your path through intuition and finding what lights you up. Let's dive in. In high school, I was really good at photography and I was a good short story writer and I loved history. I had a passion for third world politics and I really wanted to write and produce political and historical documentaries. That is literally why I went to film school. That's a great recipe for a filmmaker. History, photography, and short story writing. So yes, that was a good choice. It seemed only logical. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then how did you end up in the legal space? When I uh, moved out here to California and I went to USC, I just kept on meeting people in television. And I took it as a sign. I mean, I just went with it. I know everything I'm going to say today is going to date myself, but this is before the History Channel. <laughs> and so there wasn't a whole lot of avenues. I am truly an introvert. So I wasn't the kind of person that was going to go out there and make my own production company and start, you know, bankrolling my own documentaries. But regardless, I kept on meeting people in television. And so I just went, I just took it as a sign, like that's what I was meant to do. So I did. Will you fill us in a little bit on sort of your experience before starting uh, Verdict Videos? I worked for a, a production company that did a lot of promotions for movies, for special events. That company was pretty innovative, had a lot of technology behind it. So I also did a lot of their marketing videos. So I started out literally as a, as a tape operations coordinator and then soon post-production coordinator. And then as a post-production coordinator, I was scheduling all of the edit bay time. And so I scheduled myself to have some time to produce some videos for the network. And from there, I, of course, got promoted to writer-producer and other things. So... Will you tell us a little bit about Verdict Videos and how you help attorneys and firms win larger verdicts and settlements? Verdict Videos is a production company that produces day-in-the-life videos and settlement documentaries for legal cases. So a day-in-the-life a day video would be 
literally us going in and filming someone's day, what someone's day is like. It's not reasonable to bring the jury in to see what the damages are and see what the medical care that's needed, the future care. So we literally go in in the morning, videotape everything that happens during that day, edit that down to about 12 minutes, and then that gets shown to a jury. Our other products are for mediation. We take the case, all the information in the case, we do interviews, and it looks like you're watching 60 Minutes or 2020, except it's about the case. And it can be very, very effective in mediation. But this isn't just for catastrophic injury cases. This can be for employment cases. It can be for medical malpractice cases. It can be for a lot of different types of cases. Yes, I had the opportunity to see a clip of one of the videos at the uh, conference we were both at. They're extremely well done. Many women take over existing businesses. You took over as CEO for Verdict Videos. What was that path like to CEO? Uh, My business partner had decided to retire. And so it was only natural that I stepped into that role. I will say that it it took about uh, a good eight to 10 months to make that adjustment. And I didn't really have someone to rely on to make those decisions. So on a personal level, it's all about now I'm responsible. I have to take ownership. And that's scary to admit that you've made the wrong decision and have to live with that. But it's okay to make the wrong decision. It's okay to maybe allocate funds that didn't make a return for us. But you got to live with that. And to be honest, you know, now I don't have anybody to blame when things go wrong. It's like, you wanted to do that. No, (laughs) now I'm making those decisions. But there's also no kudos for the good decision. You know, okay, that worked out. We got to move on, go on to the next step. Uh, So it it really was uh, an eight to 10 month adjustment that I had to make, taking on the burden of all of that responsibility, all of those decisions to make. Yes. I think in business, particularly business today, that not taking a risk is a larger risk than being cautious. So to risk a financial decision or a hire, I think you have to do that in order to stay competitive and be in business today. You know, COVID is the perfect example. You either adapt or you sink, you don't survive. And we we adapted immediately that helped us survive through COVID. And we literally had the best year ever during COVID. What types of decisions did you make? What were some of the ones that you feel were the most pivotal? I got PEE equipment immediately. I got full suits. I mean, in the very, very beginning, those first two weeks, we had no idea how the virus was being uh, transmitted. But I got our team full suits to go out and continue to do interviews and masks, made the uh, decision to sponsor a pretty expensive webinar series that really just saved our lives. We There were at least 700 uh, eyeballs on us for those first four months, which was just incredible. Yeah. Where a lot of businesses were trying to figure out how to go remote, you don't have that option at all. You still have to go out and do the work. So to get that equipment for your team and to protect your team, but then also protect the people 
um, that you were going to interview. Yes, key, that was so. number one. I wanted people to feel safe with us coming in our homes. We did do some Zoom interviews, but as you know, it's very difficult to connect emotionally with someone over this electronic medium. So that is not our first preference, but we will do it. There's really something about the face-to-face. There's really something about uh, sitting five feet away from someone and asking them what their day is like or how that employer uh, abusing them for so many years, how that's impacted their self-esteem, their self-worth, their future, interviewing wives that have lost their husbands, all of that stuff is very, very difficult to get uh, in a visceral response over Zoom. To go into their homes and like you like you keep saying, to literally witness their day-to-day, I imagine is extremely powerful. So Correct, yeah. CEO is one of the loneliest positions. Uh, it can be very, very isolating. Did you envision a position of leadership? Oh, I am cursed with being in charge (laughs) my entire life. (laughs) It's just crazy. I don't understand it. I literally, I was out of work maybe in the, somewhere in like 1997, 99 maybe. And a friend of mine was set decorating for big parties, like MTV was having a party. And he's like, hey, we need some extra hands, just some extra bodies, do you wanna come? So I went and I've never done this before. I'm not a decorator or designer or anything like that. And literally they got everybody in the room and said, okay, you, you can be the coordinator. And it's like, what, why me? Do you attribute that to anything? And then as an introvert as well. I really don't know. Just lucky. (laughs) It's not though, because Mm -hmm. even things that I enjoy on a personal level, somehow I become the manager. I become the coordinator. I'm the person who's now organizing everything. And believe me, it's not something that I volunteer. It's something that just happens that way. So the things that I'm most passionate about, I don't get to enjoy. Uh, because I end up having to run it. Yeah, that's not a hat you can necessarily easily take off. Uh, yeah, I, maybe it's just my bossy personality. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a bossy personality, so <laughs> I relate. <laughs> Let's not disparage bossy personalities. I mean, hey, we get things done. Uh, I'm a person that knows exactly what I want. I know exactly how things should go. I'm a problem solver. I know how to adapt uh, to any situation. And I believe that there are always solutions, always. To every single problem, there are multiple options, multiple solutions. So, you know, maybe that's where I get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounds like you're right where you should be. So... Do you have any mentors or coaches or people in your life that you kind of look to for guidance? Who has helped you along the way? Oh, my partner, Mary Beth. Mm. Um, Mary Beth is a lawyer. She's a commercial Mm. real estate lawyer. Yes. Mm. Um, But she has been absolutely invaluable in guiding me, um, advising me, not on our production you know, day-to-day business, but the overall type of uh, her knowledge and experience in the law and dealing with business 
uh, has really helped me quite a bit. Kelly has worked with so many business leaders. I wanted to know what universal traits make good business leaders great. I think the innovators, of course, Mm. and I think it's important to never lose touch of people. I believe in a people economy. I think the best leadership is, is where people give back that keep on reinvesting in the company. Um, that which is something that I I try to do. So I think those types of leaders and the and the type of leader that doesn't forget about the people. I mean, every business is a business, but it can't just be a business. You have to not lose touch of humanity. I completely agree. I think something you said earlier is also a key trait that I have seen, uh, which is ownership and accountability. Being able to say, that was a bad move. You know, that's on me. Can go a long way for the company and for the people. I think that helps focus people. You said it a lot better than I did. You're right. Accountability, um, owning up to your mistakes, recognizing them, not trying to blame other people. Even if it's not your fault, apologize and try to do better next time. Yeah, absolutely. As both CEO... And executive producer, I think something that a lot of leaders struggle with in smaller companies, agencies, firms, how do you work on the business and in it? Yeah, that's probably the biggest challenge because everything that we do is subjective. It's very difficult to find a clone, someone who sees things like I do, sees the production, sees the videos, who understands the mix of the things that we need to communicate for the mediator, the things that we need to communicate to opposing counsel, what's important, what's not important, how to streamline and not streamline. All of those things are very, very subjective. And I, like I said earlier, I know exactly what I want. I know exactly how the story needs to be told. I understand the attorneys and their language, and I speak their language, and I've tried to teach others how to communicate with the lawyers and uh, use the terms that they use so that they understand that we understand, right? And trying to impart that on an employee or even a business partner is very difficult. So yes, I'm very, very hands-on, which is why my personal life suffers. You know, it takes a lot of time to be involved in these productions and then also have the time and the energy to manage all of the things that comes along with the business, all of the different types of taxes and and state and federal things that we need to manage, um, plus growing the company, marketing, all of those things need to be addressed. And it takes a toll, especially we are a small business, but you know, we're also producing about 130, 150. 160 wow. videos a year. A lot. <laughs> it's a lot. A lot. Oh yeah. my gosh, it really is. Oftentimes people who are very good at their craft then find themselves managing it. <laughs> They're excellent uh, technicians and specialists and then leaders. But then you add in those things that you've never had to think about before, like taxes, 
And how do you get leads? How do you close leads? All of that stuff can be very, very, very overwhelming. Are there any resources, tools, or support systems that have been beneficial to you? you do you utilize anything? I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I am failing in that regard and using tools to help. I don't know that it's failing. I think that part of the reason we started this is to help connect and build support systems and create tools and a network around women like yourself, you know? Uh, So it's not necessarily a surprise to me that there's an absence of it within the legal industry with female lawyers, but then extension, you know, female entrepreneurs, female business owners, we're trying to close that gap. There are, there's a lot of design shops, you know, like web design shops, and they tend to have little communities and hubs where they'll get together and they'll put their little heads together. Or, I mean, something that's a little more tangible, a little more day-to-day, something that you can call up and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, what's going on? To take that and then transplant it into our normal day-to-day life. I do feel really isolated. This is an incredibly niche business. There are just a handful of companies like mine across the country that do what I do, and we're all competitors. And I, I, I don't think that there is a resource for us. Um, I have on occasion uh, tried to better our productions. I have reached out to people that I know in the industry. Of course, I still have friends in television and I will, you know, ask them for advice. But beyond that, no, I don't have any type of outreach. And and when I when I do decide to maybe call a lawyer friend and ask them for advice, I, I never do it. I mean, I just don't want to invade somebody else's time and space. Interesting. Well, that's the introvert in me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Introvert. I understand. I never want to be a burden, uh, even if I need help. So. Yes. And uh, is that a woman thing or is that uh, an introvert thing? I don't know. But yeah, that's why I don't really bother people for testimonials. It's like, uh, why are they going to give me one? Uh, Forget it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's probably both an introverted woman, (laughs) uh, might be something that we share, maybe need to get better at. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, I, I, I don't doubt that someone wouldn't take my call and talk me through stuff. Your trajectory has been hyper-specific. How would you educate people about what you do? How would you get them to understand that this even exists? Yeah. You know, there's, I could sit here and talk to you about it all day long and it wouldn't make any sense. Uh, Sending exemplars out, um, having an opportunity to talk to people and show exemplars really is the only way to convey what it is that we do, right? I could tell you that it looks like 60 minutes in 2020, it's your case, but that really doesn't convey like, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, a video is worth a million. I think Women lawyers have a mentality about spending money that it's uh, there's a lot of fear around that, that, you know, it may not be enough. You know, the fear of not having enough is kind of a lot of what I sense when I've participated in women only events. I think it's a something that has been projected on us. And I always refer to that as stepping over a dime to pick up a nickel. That investing in a web presence 
investing in your cases, yes, that will take some money, but the rewards in the end is really what we need to focus on. And I, and I know that from starting verdict videos, we needed to go in 100%. And we needed not to be afraid to spend that marketing money up front and you know, reap those rewards later on, which we have. And I think that women lawyers, women business owners shouldn't be afraid to make that investment in themselves because it will come back. It will take time and it will come back. Uh, it, it just, and everything works. Everything works. Email marketing campaigns, print ads, online marketing, it all works. Cold calls, everything works. Everything. Everything works. It's no longer an option. I think with the pandemic, things were already competitive. Legal is one of, if not the most competitive industry. It just shoved everybody online. And where traditional media, which probably does still work, billboards, TV, that has now taken a backseat to the digital space. And yes, to have an investment plan, a marketing plan on how you're going to get and collect leads and turn them into cases <laughs> is vital for every firm right now. So I also think women think they got to do it all themselves. Um, even when they have money, okay, they can probably remember a time where they didn't. <laughs> and so I, I can do marketing. I, I can do accounting. I can, I can do these things. I'll figure it out. And then they're burnt out. And they're, they're not doing anything as well as they could be doing because they're trying to do everything. Uh, so I definitely think that's an aspect to it as well. But yes, like spend the money, take the risk, have a plan. It will definitely be rewarded. Yeah. And be 100% invested in your success because yeah, it's going to take time. And, you know, I, I really had struggled I struggled a lot in the beginning because I thought we were going to be like uber successful overnight. And it took like three years to turn a profit, five years to really start to snowball and become successful. That was really hard on my ego. I definitely recognized that I had some kind of like exceptionalism complex that I was going to be different, you know, we were going to just knock it out of the park right away. And that really taught me a lot of patience and how to readjust that ego of mine, for sure. And then again, have to adjust it uh, uh, once we started becoming really successful, not to be arrogant, because that became a problem for me. I would catch my arrogance and be like, oh my God, I, I can't believe I'm I'm this much of a jerk, <laughs> but then have to dial that back and then realize, no, 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 we're, we're not exceptional. Arrogance is really ugly. Let's go back to being a, a normal person, a human person. Normal person. <laughs> Would you expound on that a little bit more? What were some of the struggles you saw in the beginning? What was limiting you from kind of being where you thought you would be? Well, nobody knew us. Mm. And I think so many attorneys are superstitious and they only wanted to use who they already knew 
they, I think, were worried about uh, investing in a, a project with people they didn't know without a track record. So um, we are based in Pasadena, but we started our business in San Diego. That's a two and a half hour drive that we would make to go to meetings. We made some uh, videos that weren't for cases, but we made the production anyway so that we could use those as samples. It's a small community in San Diego, but we started our business down there and then moved up. Once we had the reputation and then enough samples to be able to show other lawyers, then we were able to be trusted, I think. I liked what you said too about ego adjustment. I think a lot of women, particularly women in leadership roles or lawyers that attract that sort of competitiveness, desire to win and succeed, not achieving can really be detrimental to a person that needs to achieve or wants to achieve. So to adjust those expectations, not take it personal. And then again, when you do succeed, <laughs> to not let it go to your head. Both can be very difficult and hard on a person. Thank you. Yes, it was It was a real. <laughs> yeah. I am competitive by nature and I work rankings. We are very, very competitive we like to win. So I think that that's advice that I can take. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I am a former athlete. And so winning is definitely something that drives me for sure. What What was your sport? I played uh, competitive baseball. Oh, nice. I did get paid to play. They, they tried to start up a league of their own again. And it, it only lasted two and a half years, but I, I literally got paid to play baseball. That's so fun. What position? Uh, well, I was mostly the bullpen catcher for okay. most of it, but second base. Uh, but my real position is third base. I played a lot of competitive uh, women's baseball that was amateur. So uh, third base is really my spot, but I pitched a lot too. So I, I was a pitcher. Yeah. That's very cool. Do you feel as someone who is in the legal space, but not a lawyer. Do you feel like there are more women lawyers? Are you coming to contact with more women lawyers now? Definitely. Definitely Good. than when I first started 12 years ago. There there are a lot more women now owning their own firms, um, going out on their own, or playing the role as, of managing partner or being more in the limelight uh, of different law firms. Definitely. And a lot of younger women, uh, for sure, are stepping into those roles, which is really great to see. I mean, we've always had the Patty Glazers and other pretty big and powerful women, but man, they're way alone at the top of their game. Mm -hmm. And uh, now we've got a lot more women filtering in, in smaller firms and even the medium-sized firms, for sure. Our first guest, Sarah Williams, talks about how social media has been the great equalizer. And now everyone has these platforms where they can go to promote themselves, which I think has been very, very useful in, in getting more lawyers to promote themselves, but then to inspire other lawyers to do the exact same thing. What does your day-to-day -day look like? Um, watching uh, existing productions. So the team goes out, either I'll do interviews or the team goes out, does interviews, they come back. They, a script gets written and I'll look at the script, I'll make revisions, then a proof is, is made and then I'll watch the proof and make revisions. 
Um, that's a lot of what I do, consulting on a lot of phone calls, um, setting up new projects, that type of thing, looking at the accounting, that type of stuff. <laughs> uh, what you do can be very trying. You're seeing the devastating effects of an accident or an injury. And I think in order to be good at what you do, a level of emotional investment is required. How do you deal with that? I cry a lot. Mm. Yeah. I could interview a family. I could write the script. I could be involved in all of the post-production, all of the editing. And I will watch the video at the end and I will cry. Because we are, all of us are that invested in uh, trying to make it right. This is real reality, right? Because when someone gets injured, and even if somebody gets fired from a job that they've had for a long time, or if somebody is denied health insurance, right? We're talking about insurance bad faith. All of these things just don't impact the, the plaintiff. It impacts so many family members, such a huge ripple effect. And I think the thing that I've learned the most from doing this type of work is that there's so much unconditional love out there. And people, people's lives are truly harmed. They will never, ever be the same. That definitely has taken a huge toll. And yes, so uh, I cry a lot. For sure. And, you know, I think uh, that's why I have my dogs written into the lease here at the office. Um, bringing my dogs to the office definitely helps uh, some levity. They're funny. They're sweet. They're sensitive. So, um, you know, that's, that, that's something as, as well. You volunteer for German Shepherd rescue groups. Do you want to share anything about that? Uh, you know, I, I want to say that I, I'm from New Jersey. I am a naturally cynical person. I am not naturally a happy person. <laughs> I, so I had to ask myself, where do I find joy? And I find joy in storytelling my work, but also in giving back. Volunteering and expecting nothing in return is really where I feel my ha the happiest. Um, playing baseball is definitely a place where I feel absolute joy and, and present. So giving back and volunteering is definitely, and donating money every, anywhere and everywhere I can is definitely my sweet spot. That's the one thing that really does bring me joy. Kelly has captured hundreds of stories that are raw and personal and often confidential, but I wanted to know which story had really stuck with her. We worked on one of the plaintiffs from the Vegas shooting. That was the country music festival. Mandalay Bay. Yeah. We, we worked on one of the plaintiffs who was paralyzed in the Mandalay Bay shooting in Las Vegas, uh, the festival. This was a couple that, and it's well publicized. They did a lot of interviews for the press. But one of the couples were running from the gunfire and the gentleman shielded his girlfriend and was struck in the, in the spine. And he was immediately 
he immediately fell to the ground and was paralyzed. And everybody around them told the girlfriend, run, go, they'll come back for him. And she said, no, I'm not leaving him. She got a table, uh, a, a folding table and used it as a gurney, got him on that table and grabbed other people to get him to safety. And this, oh my God, <laughs> the story of him saving her and her saving him and what that ordeal was getting him to the hospital. Uh, he had severe internal bleeding and would have died if she had left him there. This couple has now gone on to have in vitro and, and uh, they have their own child now. They are doing everything that they can to uh, make the best out of the worst situation. That's incredible. I can't fathom something like that happening, but then just the, the collective trauma around experiencing something like that and then a devastating life-changing injury inside of then, you know, these very difficult decisions and courageous decisions that they all made. So yeah, that's very, very powerful. You do, you do good work, Kelly. It's good stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> we, we really are committed to doing the absolute best we can for these families. We owe it to them to do the absolute best that we can to convey the loss that they have experienced. I recognize that the insurance adjuster and opposing counsel don't give a damn. They don't want to watch our videos. They don't care. They think that every single plaintiff is exaggerating, that they're lying, that they're malingerers. And this simply isn't true. It's my job to show them that the plaintiff truly, truly has been harmed. I really am committed to telling that story as efficiently, succinctly, and true, authentically as possible. It does not need to be exaggerated or the truth alone is enough. Like if you can capture and document that, you've done what needed to be done. So, Correct. Correct. There's no reason to gild the lily cannot exaggerate the lily's beauty. It, it already is mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. If you were not doing this, what would you do? I love baseball. I think baseball is God's game. <laughs> I would do anything and everything in my power to be involved in the game. Of course, I'm not qualified to do anything in the game uh, on a professional level. Um, I really don't know. Um, the whole reason why I'm sitting in, you know, Verdict Video's corporate offices right now is fate. Fate has literally brought me here. I have listened to the signs. I went with the signs and it all has brought me to where I am today. I'm not a religious person, but there has got to be something to this world. There, there just has to be. I agree. I think there's a path and you're kind of either on it or you're not. So I, I agree. And uh, to, the one thing I'll, I'll say about that is either it feels right or it's wrong. Yes. So that's a, every, that's a better way of saying it. 
Correct. And every crossroad that I've ever come to, I had to check in with myself and say, is this right? Does this feel right? And if it doesn't feel right, if I'm confused at all, it's wrong. And course correct. Take action. Absolutely. Take action. Don't be afraid. And just, you have to trust. You have to trust your intuition. I learned that really early on in my career that when I wanted to say something and I didn't, it was always a mistake. It was always a mistake not to speak up. Yes, I, I also think as as women, that is often not desirable. <laughs> We're taught to not do that, basically. I'll say a couple of things. I think women my age and older do not have a healthy sense of healthy competition. Healthy competition is learned on the ball field, whether it's soccer or softball or basketball, right? So if you didn't, if you weren't forced to participate in those sports and kind of, you know, that's where men have the advantage, I think. They play sports or at least after my generation, men play sports their entire lives and they understand what it means to win, lose, and be okay with that and still be friends and have a beer at the pub after or whatever it is. Women my age and older don't have that same sense of healthy competition because we didn't play or women prior, I, I did play sports, but women mostly did not play sports. And so I I really feel like we missed, my generation and older missed out on a lot of that. Learning how to deal and still maintain rapport, I guess. I think you're onto something with that. But also I've been in a, a conference room being the only woman and the all of this like male fraternity thing happening and I'm singled out completely. And and it's really disconcerting and very difficult to speak up when you're in that type of environment. Be 100% invested in your success. And as the saying goes, you get what you pay for. Invest in your business. While women may be apprehensive about spending, making regular and measured deposits will grow the bottom line of your practice. Invest in yourself. Fight the urge to do it all on your own. Hire the right people for the job so that you can do what you do best. Remember, no matter what resources you invest, success will not come overnight. Give it time, you can come out on top. A huge thank you to Kelly for sharing her story and unbelievable insights with us today. You have been listening to Law Her with me, Sonia Palmer. If you found this content insightful, inspiring, or it just made you smile, please share this episode with the trailblazer in your life. For more about Kelly, check out our show notes. And while you're there, please leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way for others to discover the show. And I will see you next week on Not Her, where we'll shed light on how another of the brightest and boldest women in the legal industry climbed to the top of her field. Mm-hmm.